Hey everyone, welcome to the Tension Podcast, where we acknowledge that most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. On this show, we're going to look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches, weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. If we haven't met, my name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What is up? Excited for this one, because I think... Uh... Not only are we going to talk about some bangers in uh, in Christian music, but uh, we're going to dip into politics a little bit, which is always my favorite topic. I know you're not too pumped about it, but, you know, hey, I'm ready to go. It's been a while since we did two political, so I'll, I'm probably a little chippy there. I, I can jump in a little bit. Hey, if you if you don't okay, know, if that's you, great. we are a podcast first and foremost, but we are on YouTube as well. So uh, check us out over there. The link will be in the podcast description if you want to watch us. But today we are talking about the tension between persecution and coexistence. And this is an episode we've had in the back of our minds for a while. And we kept wanting to go back to it when we were still calling ourselves Unlearning Youth Group. Because if you grew up in the church in the 90s and the 2000s, you absolutely experienced the persecution complex of the American church, even if you didn't realize what it was at the time. So like we do each week, we're going to dive into each side of this tension, and then we'll close things out by figuring out what living inside that tension feels like. And Eric, I know this is one This is one of those ones you probably don't need notes on to talk about the persecution complex of the American church. So I'm sure. going to let you yeah. go, and you're just going to, you're going to go, and then I'll pull us back to the notes when we need to. Okay, like right now? Yeah, go for it. Okay. All right. So here's the deal is when you're talking about the persecution complex for the American church, it's important that we talk about American church because uh, it, 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 this is the deal. If you've grown up in the church and you've actually gone on mission trips where you do tangible, good work mission with a local church and not just some sort of, you know, evangelical vacation uh, for a week to some place where it's like you spend one day digging a well and then you spend the rest of the week at the beach or, you know, pretending like you're actually uh, witnessing the people. If you're not watching on YouTube, it's air quotes. Um, when you spend time with people that are in other countries where Christianity is actually being persecuted, it's laughable that you would think that Christianity is being persecuted in the American church. And so for those people, like this is why it's such a big issue for me, but you've got one group on, on one side, we'll just say one side, you know, maybe it's the side on the on the right side, we'll just say, not correct side, but the right side that believes that there is this persecution complex of the American church, that Christianity is under attack. You're probably already hearing these things. These, you know, you and I being marketers, we already know these talking Ding. points. Christianity is under, under attack. The church is, you know, is being persecuted. Uh, Christian, And there's all these like boogeyman ghost stories that we make up because of the way that we were, uh, that we were brought up to believe. And I believe, um, as we've talked through a lot of things in our podcasting history, this is something that has evolved since, uh, you know, like the 60s and 70s, really. 50s, 60s, 70s is when it started to plant that seed. And now we've become even more kind of attuned to it in, in our overall society. And so I see this tie, and I know we'll go back into some of the, the, the history of it, but this is the tie that's led now to this rise of white Christian nationalism. So you have this political group that says we need a voting block and is going to co-opt the fear 
of Christians, especially conservative Christians, to say, hey, your way of life is under attack. And because we can't properly separate the difference between the way we want to live and living out our faith as Jesus commanded, we mix that politics and faith until they become like inseparable. And now we're able to be co-opted where there's an us versus them mentality, right? So think about it back in, you know, during the Cold War, the enemy was who? Those atheistic communist Russians. And then kind of when you and I were growing up, well, I mean, college, maybe high school, the enemy was who? Those Muslim Middle Easterners, whether it was Iran, then Iraq, then Afghanistan, brown and people. then it was China. Yeah, brown people. Yeah, basically. Every, like, And you can track this if you ever played Call of Duty or any sort of shooter <laughs> game because the, right? Like, because the enemy, well, and all you good Christians out there are like, oh, I never played Call of Duty, whatever. The enemy was always some nondescript Eastern European, and then it was like some nondescript uh, Muslim, er, you know, people. Arab. They're just, yeah, they just kind of turn into that. So now we've turned and now it's kind of communist China, but it's not even communist China anymore. If you think about the talking points is the enemy to the Christian church is the radical left. Ooh, you know, and it's within our own ranks. They're coming for your Christianity. Exactly. So that's my like soapbox intro to it. And we can kind of riff on, on, uh, on where it came from or what the biblical backing is. But if you look at how it's progressed, it becomes this, this danger where we are carrying this flag for Christians being persecuted. And I believe that side is, is mixing it up between your actual, just your preference and your way of life and not actually Christianity. And we will get into the other side of the coin in a little bit. Like we've said before on this show, we kind of talk more about conservative Christianity and uh, the issues within some of those extremes, because that's what we grew up in. That's what we know. And that's what we know a lot of our audience is coming from. So don't think we're just picking on one side of this. We're going to pick on the other side as well, like we always do. But to kind of Quentin Tarantino this and go from the ending point that Eric just led to, to back up and see how we got here. Um, in the New Testament, this idea of persecution is a key thread that is tied throughout the entire friggin' book. Jesus says that blessed are the, uh, what does he say? Blessed are the persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, Paul writes a lot about persecution in places like second Timothy, second Corinthians, Galatians, pretty much anywhere where the dude was in prison. He talks about persecution because he was actually either on the run for his life or being persecuted for his faith. That's because at the time when Christianity or the way first began, it was a persecuted religion. They did not have the power. In many cases, the people in power were actively trying to kill them for practicing their faith. It was the definition of persecution. But because we're Americans and because everything is about us, we read ourselves into those persecution statements. We take what we are dealing with and think that, oh, the New Testament talked about persecution. So because this person, because Starbucks didn't put Christmas on their cups, Christianity is being persecuted <laughs> here in America as well. And Happy holidays is of the devil. <laughs> so, but the, I love what you brought up there because that's a good litmus test. I would say if you're in the spot where you're like, am I being persecuted? And I don't, what, what's that chart? You know, it's like, am I being persecuted? And then the question the is chart, like, yes or um, no? is your religion in power? 
uh, yes or no, right? Like in America, yes, it is in power because uh, what did I see? The stat was like 96% of Congress has an, a religious affiliation at this point right now as we're recording. It's 96% of Congress has a religious affiliation and the vast majority of those would say that their religious affiliation is is somewhere on the Christian side, whether that's Catholic, Protestant, you know, whatever. So uh, are we uh, are we Christians in power? Yes, right. Are Christians being uh, thrown in jail and physically persecuted? No, like these are all litmus tests to go, you are not Paul in the same way as like, as I talk about all the time, you are not David and your problems are not Goliath. And the tools that you have are not your seven smooth stones that you're going to use to to fight them. Like, don't read yourself into being the hero of the story because you're not. And what happens a lot of times is we take other groups, and I say other in air quotes, but we take other groups getting any type of equal protection as persecution against our protection. So a law is passed to provide rights to people who believe something other than Christians. Christians are being persecuted. Christian prayers removed from public schools in order to protect the religious freedom of other beliefs. Christians are being persecuted. An algorithm negatively labels a video from a Christian creator because it includes false information or harmful language. Well, Christians are getting persecuted. That that's our our default. If 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 the other group gets anywhere near as close to us, it is persecution. And what that led to especially for those of us who grew up in the church in the nineties and the two thousands was this glorification of martyrdom. And if you were being persecuted, you could rise up the ranks of Christianity. And where I go back to with this, and I didn't realize this until about a year ago, Jesus freak, the most popular song ever Uh in Christian music, which is a banger. It is still a banger. It yep. still holds up today. Certified. But yep. if you look at the lyrics, what will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. Well, hold on. Let me let me take a pause here because I think I need to step into this because I, I don't even think that that initially, if I were to like step in and I have no idea. So, so if you if you guys have background on it, email the show comment below and hey, Kevin Max, if you're listening, I'm wrong. let us know. Right. Kevin. Yeah, exactly. Like d- it, tell me, but it doesn't sound like that initially was supposed to be elevating martyrdom as much as like, if someone said, Oh, Jonathan, you're one of those Jesus freaks. It's supposed to give you like a, yeah, you know what? I'm okay yep. with being different. I'm okay with being on the outside. I'm okay with being on the outskirts and I'm going to take pride in that. And then what happened is the, you know, like the, conservative evangelical Christian nationalist like seeds took it and mixed it with a couple other things that we're going to talk about. And then that became like the rallying yep. cry for like, that's right. You should die for your faith, which is so ironic anyway, because like, especially growing up in the, in the two thousands around nine 11 and all the jihad talk with Muslims and how the best thing they could do is die for their faith. Like we want to do a line with that somehow and go, yeah, let's, let's co-op that into Christianity. But too. their version was bad. We got to make sure that we know that that, right. that version was bad. That's right. Yeah, dying for their faith, they were bad. Yep. That you, if you die for your faith as a Muslim, bad. Christianity. Good. And here's what here's what I do want to acknowledge: the term "Jesus freak" came out of the '70s in the, um, the Jesus movement. So, yep. As a group of guys who went to Liberty, 
who were around fundamentalist Christianity and um, that type of thing. I get what DC talk was doing and where those lyrics came from, but that's where part, like so much of this persecution thing is baked into what we do because it's just assumed we're going to be made fun of. We're, we're going to be called names and okay. So what if they do that? Uh, there ain't no disguise in the truth. I'm okay with that. But so that that's kind of a seed for many of us that kind of laid the foundation, even without us knowing it. But then from there, uh, DC talk and another group released a book, actually two volumes, one in 99 and one in 2003 called Jesus freaks. And the, and here's the Amazon description. You may think of martyrs as those who gave their life for the faith in the early church. But today, Christians around the world continue to stand boldly for Christ despite ongoing persecution. These are their stories. And I, re- I read the first one. I, I ate it up. I loved it. It was, it's an incredible <sighs> book with, in- with incredible storytelling. But again, yeah. you're seeing seeds planted for like, we're glorifying this idea of laying yourself down for the faith and making it seem like every single one of us is going to be put in a position to where we're going to have to do that at some point. And then it all comes to a head in 1999 when you have the tragedy that was the Columbine shooting. And for those of you who don't know, if you're one of our younger listeners, you may not know this, but there was a girl named Cassie Bernal who was shot and killed in that shooting. And one of the stories that came out about that one of her classmates said that he heard the shooters ask her if she believed in God. She said, yes. And then they shot her and that became a rallying cry for so many. The, she said, yes, idea. her parents wrote a book called she said, yes, uh, that was a bestseller sold a ton. They went on a national speaking tour, uh, for the C- she said, yes stuff. And I remember sitting in the bleachers, of South Stokes high school when I was in ninth grade and their football stadium sold out entire home side of the stadium was full of people listening to this speaking tour of she said, yes, the only problem was the story wasn't true. Mm. It was based on a student's recollection and he got his story mixed up as they investigated everything and put all the different accounts together. It was discovered that her story could not be true. Uh, they asked someone else if she believed in God and then moved on. They didn't shoot that girl and they, they happened to shoot Cassie and kill her for a different reason. So it wasn't true, but it, the story could have stopped there, but, but yeah, cause we, you know what, that's the thing is when, when there are alternate, um, when there are alternate motivations, you never waste that opportunity, you know, to embellish it. So just like we said, with like DC talk, Jesus freaks. I'm sure they didn't go out and go, you know what? We're going to start this whole Christian martyrdom thing, but people take it, co-opt it and run with it. And then it's like, we got, we got to keep the momentum going. In a tragic situation. Right. Exactly. And then like, and and it's worth mentioning Columbine for people that didn't grow up through it. I mean, that was like, that was so tragic and it is still tragic, but today Columbine would just be another another school shooting because it's, it happens so often, but this was one of the very first tragic situations that stuck with a, a majority of us and changed the, you know, changed the landscape for how Christians would look and imagine being someone's friend and witnessing all of this, this trauma going on. And it's like, 
things get mixed up in your head or you want to remember somebody well and you say something and I don't know, maybe, you know, I, I think I heard it. I think it went, I'm embellishing a little bit because I want to honor the memory of my friend. And then all of a sudden as a parent, your child dies, you hear this story. You're so proud you know, of your it's kid. It's like now I'm in, yeah, you're grieving. proud of your kids. You're going to carry it on. Uh-huh. And then what happens is you get the people on the outside who are going to go, yep, uh-huh, that's right. This is exact, you know, you're going to use your tragedy as their talking point. And that's dirty and nasty and vile. And I want to be completely fair because the She Said Yes Speak, the book and the speaking tour had a lot of really good content that wasn't around She Said Yes, that it was just part of the book, but it was still packaged around that even once they knew yep. it wasn't true. And this is a little yep. bit off subject, but it kind of plays into this as well. One of the things that made Columbine such a big issue inside the church was it took place right next to focus on the family. And they used yeah. their big behemoth machine to take the tragedy and use it for their purposes to, to take in their, the video games agenda, the music agenda. There were so yep. many things that fear-based persecution the culture is doing these things to us type of things. Focus yep, on the family wars. ran with that and used what was a tragedy to further a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now that we're now what, 24 years from Columbine. Yeah. 24 years ago. Yeah. And what we have learned is that the American church eats up per persecution stories and persecution ideas and us versus them ideas feeling like we're the little guy and it's turned into a very very profitable business there are people making a lot of money stoking fear of the woke left or whatever it might be coming for our christian values and a lot of people are buying into it yep yeah and that and i think that's if there's any, well, and there's probably a ton of themes for, you know, longtime listeners of the show, but one that keeps coming up in the conversations that we have is this idea that something happens and a, a different group is going to take it and utilize it for their own purposes and, you know, twist it or, um, you know, your tragedy becomes my talking point is kind of the, is the theme. And that's, and that's just so bad because like you said, focus on the family already had an agenda item. And so all of these different things that now you're essentially you're socially proof texting and going, Oh, see that confirmation bias. Like I'm going to circle. Uh, I think the, uh, the, the, what do they call it? The logical fallacy is the Texas sharpshooter where after you, uh, after you shoot the, the holes, then you draw the target and you say, Oh, look, see, because this here, this here, this here, that means it's persecution. That means, you know, it's like, those are the pieces that, that you use to justify because these guys played violent video games. It must be violent video games because these guys, you know, shot up Christians. Christianity is under attack. And it's just, I mean, that it, it's terrible. I know you have to do that if you're going to try and prove a point, but that's a vile way to do it. Okay. So that's the groundwork of one side. And in this case, it is kind of political. That's the right side, but the other extreme is the left, which is coexistence at all costs. And 
on this side, you have a mixed bag of sorts. Everything from, hey, Christianity works for you, but not for me, and that's okay. All the way to the all roads lead to the same God type of crowd. And I, I actually had one guy on TikTok um, say to me once, he's a universalist, and he said, life gets easier to navigate when you realize we all have universal insurance and we don't need to be selling individual insurance from hell. And it was a really funny analogy, <laughs> but his general his general point was, there's no need to talk about these things or to have convictions because at the end of the day, we all go to heaven. I've heard yeah. people say the Bible is too restrictive and people should have personal autonomy. So holding any type of biblical ethic anywhere is simply wrong and shouldn't happen. Um, yeah, there are people who would claim Jesus who would say that. And we've talked about it too, where it's like the, um, we talked about last season specifically when we talk about church hurt on like your truth. Um, mm -hmm. and I think you and I, we can, we can sit in that tension of what your truth means or my truth. And that means like my lived experience. But if you take that to the extreme and say, Hey, everybody has their own truth. And so that's like, everybody can seek, um, their own, you know, understanding of either Christianity or the afterlife or whatever. So. There's that aspect. I think the other aspect you think you see too, which is very ironic from this group of people is uh, <coughs> typically this group of people is the kind of like, hey, this world really, really matters and the way that you treat each other really, really matters. But on this topic, it almost seems like, well, since we're, since heaven exists, you know, it really shouldn't matter. You know, pacifism is, is the way to go because it shouldn't matter because God is in charge and blah, blah, blah. You know, so what happens here on earth um, doesn't matter as much, which is like, like I said, very ironic because they would flip the argument when it comes to social issues. And so that's, that's where I think there's a little bit of like, it's not really intellectually honest from this side either. I would go one step further and say, take it five steps further, Jonathan, <laughs> keep going. Let's hopscotch this one. There is a hypocrisy in it where people will say, Hey, mm -hmm. I'm glad that Christianity works for you. And that's not, that's okay for you, but it's not okay for me. But then when you have any type of conviction that, Hey, this thing is wrong. I believe this thing is wrong. Well, Hey, you're oppressing me. Stop that. You can't like, right. even, even yep. if like, I'll give you an example. If we're going to go political, let's go hot topic. I believe abortion in any type of format. That's not because of the health of the mother is morally wrong. I, I have that. I have that mindset. I'm not telling you to ban abortion. I'm not saying that it should be illegal. Like I, I have, we did an entire episode on abortion a while back. I said, I am pro-choice anti-abortion. There are those who will tell me that I should not have the opinion because I believe every life matters that abortion is wrong. They say, Oh, it's not, it's not wrong. It's, it's okay. Like we can do it whenever, like what, what's the saying? Um, on demand without restrictions or whatever, but because, because I don't fully agree with that. Apparently I am the equivalent in many eyes to those who want to have all out 100% restrictions. So it's this all or nothing yeah. like, Hey, you can have your Christian beliefs, but unless you apply them in the exact same way that I want to, so that everyone is covered, then you're wrong. And it's this, it's this coexistence at all costs. Yeah. 
it's it's similar to the intersectionality framework. You know, it's like if you are like if you're going to be an ally and if you're going to be supportive of one thing, it has to be everything. Mm-hmm. And so there is no room for nuance on that on that side either. So when it comes to the persecution complex, there's like a there's also another persecution side of like if you're speaking out against anything you you are automatically thrown into racist bigot whatever you know anything like that so there's no room for calling out individual situations as being hey yeah you know what i mean like uh um i i can't think of a great example right now but if it's like hey if there is a case where a christian business owner or a christian church or something like that is actually having their rights mm-hmm. violated and you're like hey right there that specific case um maybe that one uh would be persecution. And now you're like, oh, all of a sudden you're speaking up for the Christians, you bigot. That's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, no. In this particular case. So I think both sides have the problem of throwing everybody into one extreme. And so it's like every single time you say happy holidays on the right, it's like, you know, oh, you're an atheist and you're 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 persecuting Christianity. And then on the other if side, if you say Merry like, Christmas, hey, you know God I, God help you because you're the worst person in the world because you didn't take into consideration other right. people. I live in the South. My town right. is ninety three percent white. Right. Like the majority of the people I come in contact with are going to be people who celebrate Christmas. And there are times yeah. I make the that majority as, of Americans celebrate Christmas. Yeah, there are times I make that assumption that this person who I have known forever is okay with me saying Merry Christmas. If they were offended, I would apologize and say, Hey, I'm sorry. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy celebrating whatever it is you celebrate. But just because I say Merry Christmas is no reason to say that I don't care about other people. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it'd be going as far as like you sneeze and I said, bless you. Or if I said, God bless you. And now you're like, Whoa, excuse me. Excuse me. Who are you? to determine whose blessings I should get when I sneak, you know, it's like, Oh my gosh, give me a break on this. You know? So I think, I think there's, there's pieces of that too, where you're it's, it's like both extremes are looking for persecution. They're just looking for it in opposite ways. So it's like anything that could be seen as slightly against Christianity. I'm just looking for a trigger to go off because I already have an ax that I'm grinding and you're giving me that opportunity. Then on the other side, which is what we're talking about now, is like anything that could be seen as taking a stand in a certain spot. Like I said, because like, you know, when you're talking about some of the Supreme Court cases, it's like if there is a Christian business owner that says, hey, in this particular case, uh, I think that I should be allowed to refuse service to somebody because of my closely held beliefs. Right. In this case, uh, maybe I would support that in this case over here. Maybe I wouldn't right. support that, you know, and but if you say any of that, like, oh, no, you can't. You can't refuse service to anybody at any time under any circumstances. It's like, yeah, yeah, you can, you can, you know, there are nuanced pieces in there that you need to be able to, to pay attention to. But if we're so hell bent on not having anything take away from our argument, it's just like our faith. If we're so hell bent on like every single brick in our wall of faith being, being pristine, the whole thing tumbles down if you just take you know take one out and scrutinize it and that's that's not helpful for anybody and i'll bring it back to christianity and faith i recently i'll send this to you i recently saw a tiktok from a girl saying that uh the church as if american the american church is like the catholic church and there's a an edict from above 
is rebranding purity culture. And they're making it less about shame and less about this, but they're still telling people not to get, not to have sex before marriage. So that's taking away their personal bodily autonomy. And she said it was wrong and it was just rebranding purity culture. So there's this idea, especially if we, we talked about this earlier in the season, the deconstruction versus deconversion, especially from those who have swung the pendulum all the way from evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity all the way over to um, atheistic or agnostic, there's this, this swing that says anything with traditional biblical ethics is wrong and should not happen. And it gets in right. the way of people's personal bodily autonomy or personal thought, or there's a bunch of different arguments here that I don't want to get into because they annoy me, but it takes well, it too it's, far. It, it's, it's abuse or it's yes. persecution. There, like any, there's no percentages. There's no like 1%. Uh, hey, maybe in this case, there might be a little bit of persecution going on. It's all or nothing. Yes. So Eric, to save us some time, to respect people's time, how do we live in this tension between on the right, we're looking to be persecuted because that means because the Bible said we're going to be persecuted. And if we're persecuted, that means we're speaking the true gospel because the world's going to hate the gospel no matter what. And on the left side, coexistence of all two extremes, and you can't have any type of moral justification or moral conviction. And we have to make room for everybody. How do we live in that tension? Yeah, I think. You know, first of all, we talked about that, that litmus test, you know, you have to have some sort of filter and acknowledging the difference between actual persecution and like just not being a jerk and, you know, allowing other people to live their lives in society. Because think about how stupid it would be. And I actually talking to a client about this the other day where we were talking about differences of opinions for clients, everything like that. And I just asked her, I said, how do you take your coffee? And she says, uh, I take my coffee. Um, I like it hot with a little bit of cream, a little bit of sugar. And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. I only drink black coffee. N great. Can we leave room for people to accept that maybe cream and sugar is okay in coffee versus just black? And like, that's not persecution. The fact that you like your coffee with cream and sugar does not persecute or does not take away from my ability to drink black coffee. The fact that you exist is okay. And so going back through and going, when Paul is talking about being persecuted, he's doing it from jail, from a society that is actively killing Christians, not like what we have going on now, right? And so those are different pieces where we have to see the differences between inconveniences or someone not preferring my way of life and something that becomes actual persecution or you preventing me from living my way of life. Like you said, Starbucks comes out with a red cup for Christmas that has nothing written on it. That doesn't mean that you're whitewashing or taking away Christmas. It just doesn't. A, a politician standing on stage and saying, oh, well, you know, they now there's a war on Christmas and nobody can say Merry Christmas now. <laughs> it's like the fact that you're standing up there saying Merry Christmas negates your argument. Did you happen, happen to have a... Nobody is coming to you. Did you happen to have a what? particular politician in mind when you use that voice? <laughs> No, I mean, you know, uh, it's with the Starbucks and the cups and the red and you know, like, no, stop it. The fact, and, but every, and if you listen to those sorts, sorts of speeches, all the Christians are like, yeah, hell yeah, they're taking away our Christmas. They're coming for us. And it's like, you need to look at it and say, not everything needs to be a battle 
ground line drawn um, that, that's going to do it. Because the fact is, we live in the United States of America. There is a constitution that exists outside of Christianity, outside of the Bible. I know that's shocking for a lot of you, but it's like that allows room for other people to exist. And so if what you are doing is preventing them from existing, you are also per persecuting them, whether you believe that the way they're living is right or wrong. Yeah, we have to realize the difference between actual persecution and making room for others in a secular pluralist, pluralistic society. And having to make room for others is not persecution. It might be inconvenient, right? but it's not, by definition, it is not persecution. It can become persecution once it becomes hostile. But right. there's a speck and plank type of discussion that we need to have here because we have to make sure we are also not showing hostility and ill treatment to others on the basis of ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or political beliefs, which is the definition yep. of persecution. So we can't say they're persecuting against us while then going and showing hostility and ill treatment to others on the basis of their ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or political beliefs, which that's happening a lot from a certain segment of the church. Yeah. And I do want to acknowledge like there is uh there is a power dynamics disclaimer in there. Um, it, you have to say if you are part of the majority or if you have a position of power. So for me being a middle-aged white Christian male, I mean, I'm basically the majority I'm basically the, you know, the definition of the type of person that would be in power in any environment that I walk in, even though I live in a majority minority state, all that sort of thing still. So there is a different scrutiny level for my level of persecution as opposed to others in the same way as like, if you're at work, your boss has a different power dynamic than you do. So the persecution level is a little bit different there. So we need to understand that as well is the other, um, the other filter is like, be honest and go, Hey, if you're middle-class, if you are white, if you are male, if you are Protestant, like you got it pretty good on the macro level, buddy, you know, like, let's just, let's just make sure that that's okay. Oh, well, you know, whatever they're coming for white males, like stop, just stop. Let's evaluate it. Because if you cry wolf at every little bit of inconvenience to you or to your particular ethnicity, religion, sexual orientation, or political belief, Nobody's going to believe you when there's actual persecution going on. I've actually, God help me for saying this. I've been thinking about that recently because, you know, as some of this information has come out about the origins of COVID and how there are official departments within the government who are saying that the most likely thing is a lab leak of some sort. And I remember how visceral my reaction was to those on the far right who were saying that in derogatory ways in 2020. And yep. I've been trying to process through like, why, why did I have such an, a response to that when I knew that a lab leak was possible, like it was, it's always been mm -hmm. possible, but I didn't want to hear that three years ago. 
And I think what yeah. you said just then is a is where I've landed because there's been so much crying wolf on all these yeah. other things that I didn't want to be associated with quote unquote those people on yeah. that because because there was so much other ridiculousness that I then could have been um opted into or people would have thought I was with that yeah, as it's well. the it's the idea that you like you any agreement means you agree with the whole thing and I'm sure there's some and I'm 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 going to think about it as soon as we get off here what the word is for that but like if you agree with a part then you have to agree with the whole and so that that is the thing is like that's where I feel like a political nomad and even a little bit of like a religious spectrum of evangelical to whatever nomad is because I, I can't pull out and go, yeah, you know what? I think that, uh, that Fox news makes a couple of good points here without then being assumed that you're all over here. Or it's like, Hey, you know what? I don't really agree with some of the things the Democrats are doing without being assumed here or vice versa. So I think that that's, that's a piece of it is to actually look at what, what is persecution in your life? Is it something that if that thing exists, does it take away from yours? So another good example is in movies, especially like Disney movies, is, is a black little mermaid. Does that take away from my ability to live and to have my exist, existence? No, that there's now a black Tinkerbell, right? Like, come on, that there are people that are in uh, same sex committed relationships in movies now. It's like, does that take away from? No, they're allowed to exist and they're allowed to be represented in, in media. And that's not persecuting me. And that's not taking away from my ability to exist in my life. Even if you don't agree with what they're showing on the television or in the movie, that doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Right. Because we do live in a pluralistic society. I think a lot of what we do, and there's so much of this talk of protect the children type of thing. I think mm -hmm. we want the culture to do our job as parents and protect them from mm -hmm. everything so that we don't have to have hard conversations with our kids. If the culture would yep. just show everything that we believe with believe, then we don't have to do the hard job of parenting and raising our kids to follow Jesus. One piece of the tension we have to live in is we have to make room for others at the same time. We have to hold firm to our convictions too. And I want to say straight up that one of the things we have always been very open with, with this show is there is room for people to follow Jesus together and have different convictions. I, I fully believe that we're, we're interpreting a, 2000 year old book that's been translated over multiple languages in a culture that's different than ours. So they're going to be different convictions, but whatever your convictions are within your faith, we have to hold firm to those. We can't let a, a culture and a society that's saying coexistence above all or anything like that. Keep us from having our moral religious convictions based off the faith that we believe that doesn't mean that we force mm -hmm. our convictions onto the government or onto others, but we also don't yep. slink away from our convictions because others might disagree with us. And I, I understand that tension because there are things I believe that I've, I've struggled saying out loud in the past because 
I didn't want those people, just like I don't want to be associated with those on the far right of what Christianity has become in many Southern evangelical circles. I also don't want yep. to, I, in the past, I've not wanted to offend people who are more on the left because I wanted to show them there was a different way to be a Christian. And the tension I'm learning I have to live in is I can still speak up for my convictions while giving room for their convictions as well. If I, like, I can still show yep. them the respect for theirs and speak up for myself and expect the same respect from them. I'm not going to force yep. my beliefs on them. I'm not going to put my beliefs onto everyone, but there are ways to stick up for your beliefs without belittling those who have different opinions. And we have to live in the tension of saying what we think is right, saying what we think is wrong while allowing others the freedom to both disagree and do things that we think might be wrong or might be against our religious faith. I think it's similar to parenting, you know, and I'm bringing a lot of these issues of faith back to parenting. It's like, I can do my best to raise my kids with the convictions that I believe are the best way to go. But at some point, your children have to make the decisions for themselves and you cannot control their decisions. And it is not your job to control them. And those decisions become looser and looser and looser the older they get, right? But if you are that parent who has an adult child and you are still treating them and forcing them into your convictions, it's like, stop. You know, and the same thing is true for our faith. In my opinion, it's like, I can still try to just say, hey, this is how I believe. This is what I, but at the same time, I cannot look at another adult human being and force them into my convictions. There is a way to be able to say, hey, can we, especially in the United States, can we make room for people who like their coffee with no sugar and no cream while also allowing room for people who like cream and sugar in their coffee without those two groups trying to ban or outlaw cream and sugar or force cream and sugar into coffee that the fact that it exists is okay. And we can, we can keep it that way. Yeah. And then are we going to the final one? Cause I'm ready Go for, for it. How about it? Finally is we have to stop glorifying persecution. I don't know where it really came from, but it's like, it feels like for some of y'all out there, uh, persecution, your Christian persecution is like some merit badge you're trying to win. Like that somehow is going to add another crown for you or, you know, in your big, big house with lots and lots of rooms <laughs> that like, this is, you know, you're going to be playing football, Touchdown. like lots and lots of food on that table, you know, that sort of thing. Somehow it's like, oh, I'm persecuted. You're high fiving people and you're like chest bumping. It's like, yeah, they said happy holidays to me. And I said, Merry Christmas back flex on a rah! like, I did not think that F word was going to be flex. I thought you were going somewhere else and it was going to be, it was going to be a pivotal moment in the show that's never happened before. And I wasn't sure what I was going to do. Go ahead though. You're ready. You're ready for it. Yeah. But I mean, like it, think about how stupid that is. Like, okay, Hey guys, uh, we're all at small group right now. Let's share our wins. If your wins include like, you know what? The, the other day, someone said happy holidays to me. And I said back to them, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. Right. Or someone said, how are you doing? And I said, too blessed to be blessed stressed. and highly favored <laughs> and high five and all around. Oh my gosh. It is just like, stop glorifying it. Stop with the phrase that goes, well, if they don't like you, then you must be doing something right. Or, you know, the other one that I hear all the time is like, oh, Satan is at his, is working the most when you're closest to a breakthrough. It's like, stop, just 
stop it. Persecution is not a merit badge for Christians. It's not a badge of honor. It's not something that you should be like clearing off space on your mantle for some persecution award. Uh, because that is, there's a very close tie to, for a little word alert, you being a jackass. <laughs> okay. So you're not, you're not like high fiving people and you're not, you know, celebrated because you're being persecuted. You're probably just acting like a jerk to other people. That's what I would say. If I were looking to do the litmus test, what you believe is that thing you're going to put on your little, you know, brownies. Uh, what, what is that thing that they have? Their little sash. It'd be like my persecution merit badge. No, it's the J-E-R-K award. award. Congratulations. I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's recap. The way we live in the tension and the way we live in this tension is we first realize the difference between actual persecution and making room for others in a pluralistic society. The second thing we do is we hold firm to our convictions without forcing them onto other people. And lastly, we stop glorifying persecution as if it's a merit badge. That's it for today. Next week, we're going to be talking about the tension between processing our grief and moving on with life. If you haven't watched the first season of Shrinking on Apple TV, that was the inspiration for next week, and you should watch it because it's really, really good. If you have any feedback or you want to connect with us, Eric is at EricW712 on all the major platforms. I am at Jonathan underscore Crone on them as well. You can also email us any feedback or ideas you want us to talk about in the future to hello at tensionpodcast.com. If you like the show, do us a favor and rate and review it wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to us on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Share this episode with a friend if you found it interesting. And as always, thank you for making us a part of your day. We'll talk to you again next week. Kachana, Kachana, what will people do if they hit an object? What will people do if they find out it's ho, ho, ho?